How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dead Jester Productions podcast. I'm your host, Joshua J. Moskers. Joined this week by special guest, Srivitz, a journalist who turned to business instead of journalism. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. It's really great to be on. Awesome. Happy to have you here. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, what you have going on, what you do? Right. So uh, I was a journalist. I spent about five years doing that. I do have a BA and an MA in journalism. And uh, during that uh, nearly half a decade I spent in journalism, I focused predominantly on two areas. One is technology, uh, consumer tech, whatever's happening around the world of tech and how it impacts consumers, and also on global politics and global affairs. I still kind of do keep that going through my own podcast and uh, through my own blogs and everything. But now I have transitioned full time into business and I am working here in Dubai at the moment. So that's just briefly about me. Nice. So what'd you, how did you get into journalism? Like what what made you like get interested in that? I just love to read. I was always a very vociferous reader as a kid. And I just figured, uh, you know, all that. Now we know it as research. But back then for me, it was just, you know, reading. So I figured, okay, I love to read. And I discovered I had a knack for writing pretty well as well. So journalism just was the one career choice that made the most sense. Nice. So how do you... How do you get into journalism as a career? Is that, I mean, did you go to school for that then as well? Yeah. So uh, these days it's a lot more challenging. Uh, You know, you kind of have to go to school. You kind of have to do a degree. Like I said, I did both an undergrad and a postgrad degree. And that was kind of my gateway into it. And even then it was fairly difficult. It was not that easy. Um, So there is a challenge. And I think the current state of newsrooms around the world, which ties in very nicely to the topic of our podcast, you know, AI, we're talking about so I feel like that's uh, something that we need to discuss in detail. But the current state of newsrooms is not good. So journalism is not exactly a very promising career these days. But that said, if mm-hmm. you're passionate about telling stories, I think it's still a wonderful place to be. Yeah, for sure. It, like, I know we'll, we'll lead into our discussion on AI here. Um, one of the things I've, I've noticed as far as journalism, uh, the last number of years in particular, is the way instead of writing in-depth articles presenting like new information necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many articles I see where uh, it'll just be, you know, them talking about how someone made a a post on Twitter or Facebook or something or Instagram, and they make a whole like article out of that. And that's it. It's just rehashing information. It's, it seems there's so much of that. It's hard to find sources of information where they're telling unique well-documented, mm-hmm. you know, stories. Right. Well, to- I think you've, you've made a good point, Josh, but I would reiterate that uh, to that, there are two uh, responses, right? The first is, again, the uh, sources that newsrooms have. Now, money is very tight, so therefore you can't spend a lot of money and a lot of resources chasing a big story, doing original mm-hmm. reporting. It's not feasible unless you're something like the New York Times or The Guardian or CNN, yeah. where you're a legacy newsroom and you have a legacy and history and a heritage that you can count mm-hmm. on. Uh, the second reason is uh, the fact is social media has rapidly changed how we consume news and media. And that mm-hmm. means it's a lot harder for us to tell what exactly is the truth now. And therefore, you find a lot of new age newsrooms, like I'm talking about Vice, uh, you know, stuff like that mm-hmm. that's popped up in the last decade or so. They don't know how to tell the truth because they don't know what the truth is. So therefore, mm-hmm. to err on the side of caution, they're just going to pick up what people are saying on social media. It's a simple way of avoiding getting uh, into trouble for spreading misinformation, right? You can always say, hey, we're not saying that. This is what the public is saying. 
So I feel like that's yeah. the reason that kind of uh, behavior has come. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, it's here to stay. Yeah. Well, part I think part of it too is, you know, they're going to create articles based on what people are going to read and click on, right? I mean, it's why you get a lot of these words. You know, this famous person said this, and yeah. then it's, you know the tweet, and pe- they know people are going to click on it because people are interested in celebrities and famous people saying things that might get them in trouble or might be a uh, argument yeah. starting. Exactly. Know. So we call it clickbait, and the reason it exists mm-hmm. is just because, right? You need the environment is so competitive right now, so you need to stand out. You need those clicks because that's mm-hmm. the challenge of an ad-driven economy, right? Uh, yeah. the end of the day what's going to determine your income the number of ads you can show the number of revenue you generate mm-hmm. from your ads and how do you generate revenue it's by showing that x number of people are on my platform or are on my website so the ad driven economy has essentially led to that kind of a situation and uh, sadly that is you know how things are and hopefully things can change but i don't have much hope that it will yeah and that kind of shifting into what we were the overarching thing we wanted to talk about was ai and one of the main ways in which I've been, I was introduced to AI and how I've interacted with it is a lot of AI, you know, written articles and things like that, where whether it be actual articles or when they use mm-hmm. AI to create content for websites. Right. Um, and just how that's really taken off because people are figuring out it's very easy to just ask chat GPT to write something up and now they have this whole big page of information they can just put out as though they wrote it themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what is, what is your background with AI? Like what, what kind of interaction have you had with it? What's your education on it? I suppose. Right. So, uh, my background and interaction with AI has been very superficial. Uh, mm. I would not say that I'm an expert on the topic in the way that I have, you know, done a lot of playing with AI tools or done a lot of research on large language models or things like that. But mm-hmm. being a journalist, I have actively followed what AI developments are going on around the world. I have written yeah. about some of them. And, uh, you know, as part of that writing, I do a lot of reading and a lot of research. So that is more or less my uh, experience with AI. But these mm-hmm. days, I do use ChatGPT as well. Sometimes for work, I find that, yes, it's a convenient solution. So I feel like, why not use it when it's available? And uh, therefore, I have started learning to use AI tools now. Uh, it starts with ChatGPT, but I'm also now dipping my toes into other uh, AI generators for, you know, photo content, yeah. video content, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I've, I mentioned it on our show here a number of times where we're still at the stage where people are using things like ChatGPT, uh, Dolly, like image generator, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of a lot of the different tools. They're not they're using it at a very basic level, sort of as just like a fun little almost a game. Mm-hmm. As opposed to utilizing it as like an extra tool in their in their toolbox to really hone in on whatever it is they're trying to do and do tasks. I mean, I know when I use like I'll use ChatGPT to create lines of code for website right. development. Mm-hmm. It saves me a lot of time in that regard. Uh, a lot of the image generators can be helpful, but I still think we're at that stage where it's hard to get some of them to make images that look realistic enough to pass off as whatever it is we're trying to get them to do. Especially right. if you're looking for specific images where it's like maybe a person doing a specific task, it mm-hmm. kind of comes out looking funny. Yeah. Um, so we're still not there yet, but yeah, a lot of people use it mainly for, you know, jokes or mm-hmm. whatever it is they're trying to do online. Right. Yeah. Naturally. I mean, I think, 
AI has developed, but like a lot of technology at the moment, accessibility is a problem, right? For mm-hmm. example, even with ChatGPT, now you find ChatGPT four is behind a paywall, right? Yeah. So you've got a lot of these tools that are behind paywalls. Therefore, they're not widely accessible yet. And again, mm-hmm. we come from an economy now where people are expected to get access to these tools for free. The Facebook mm-hmm. model has kind of you know shown that tools and software should be free because we're paying for it with our data. And yeah. therefore, the fact that these paywalls have sprung up, I think it's holding back mass adoption of AI, which is probably mm. a very good thing. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I also think too, uh, we're still at the stage where AI is being used as sort of a gimmick by businesses. I mean, how many? I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it a lot, where mm-hmm. every single business has some sort of like, oh, our AI generated whatever will help you, and it's just like autocomplete sort of stuff, like sort of like with website development and things like that as well. But there, I see so many tools pop up where it's, oh, do you need help coming up with, you know, Instagram captions Mm or, you know, we have an AI generator that'll help you get there. And they're doing that with every, everything online now is, is transitioning where they're having some sort of AI gimmick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, see, end of the day, uh, the tool is, it's it's meant for our benefit, right? That's how, all these companies are marketing mm-hmm. it, right? They're saying that it's going to help you save time. It's going to help you save effort. And uh, mm-hmm. therefore, it starts with these small gimmickies, uh, things like you mentioned, Instagram captions or writing a yeah. cover letter for a job or whatever it is. Because those are relatively low stakes events, right? You mm-hmm. can write uh, an Instagram caption generated by AI. And even if there are a few grammatical errors, it won't really matter in the large scheme of things. Uh, yeah. And as long as AI is left to that, I think it's all right. You know, stuff like mm-hmm. generating a headshot, professional headshot for your LinkedIn or things like that. It's relatively safe because the stakes are low. But the mm-hmm. reality is the stakes are never going to be this low. We've seen it with Facebook. We've seen it with Twitter. You know, all yeah. these platforms and softwares and tools, over time, the stakes tend to grow. And if you're not mm-hmm. careful about that, then it's going to end up in a situation where you are making policy or you're deciding someone's fate using AI and that might not be a place we want to be, uh, given the current state of things. For sure. Especially with the track record a lot of these businesses have. I mean, if you look at Facebook and Twitter and I mean, Instagram is Facebook, mm-hmm. obviously. But I mean, the way that they have just lost or, you know, had users data, data stolen over and over and over again. And as they introduce AI, it's just uh, not necessarily specifically with Facebook and Instagram, but there's going to be AI companies that pop up where you're yeah. adding all this extra data and information points. And just because of the way AI is able to gather information from across the internet, it is going to be very easy uh, for AI to have every bit of information on a person. And so if their database gets leaked, now everyone's, you know, whoever's been using it, their entire collection of data is leaked. Exactly. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's a bit worrying, especially since there doesn't seem to be much uh, uh, going as far as like punishments for it. I mean... Mm-hmm. You look at Facebook, they have some congressional hearings here in the U.S. at least. Right. And what happened? They got like a fine maybe. I don't even remember if anything happened necessarily. <laughs> right. They say, oh, I'm sorry. We promise we won't do it again on purpose. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I agree yeah. with you. And see, that comes from two things. One is the Silicon Valley mantra of move fast and break things. And mm-hmm. as long as you have that philosophy, uh, you're never going to be in a position where you can allow governments and regulation to catch up because whether we like it or not, bureaucracy is probably the slowest moving thing in the world right now, right? Yeah. Anywhere you go, it could be a democracy like the US or the European Union. It could be an autocracy like China or Russia. But 
implementing a law, creating a law, getting it passed, it all takes far too much time. And Silicon mm-hmm. Valley is not ready to wait for that, right? So what happens is you have technology moving at breakneck pace and you have these great innovations coming out, but governments just having no idea how to respond to it in real time. Yeah. They're all responding retroactively. And that's a problem we've seen with Facebook. Like you said, what could the US government do after Facebook was already uh, so influential in the 2016 presidential election and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing you could do was, okay, we're going to slap you with a fine. You can't shut the company down because that's a major economic powerhouse, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's what happens when you build laws in retrospect, right? You've, you've got to just think about, okay, well, it's happened and now it's a president, right? We can't go back and change uh, what happened. Mm-hmm. So that's the situation we're in. And with AI, it's very similar. But I'm, I'm glad to see that at least some governments are taking it seriously and being a little more proactive this time around. And I mm-hmm. believe that we won't get to the point where we were with Facebook. At least I hope we don't. And I feel like we can cut off AI before it starts influencing our elections or, uh, you know, having that kind of an effect on the public. Yeah. And kind of adding to what you had mentioned, too, about, you know, it takes time to pass laws about these. They they had the Protect Act here in the mm-hmm. U.S., which I, I've not heard about it in quite some time. I don't know what happened with it, but that was regarding like TikTok ban, essentially. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I really don't know what uh, what ended up happening with that. But they uh, that was one where they were talking about, uh, you know, taking down TikTok and try, using it. They were trying to pass a law under the premise of protecting children and their data. Mm-hmm. But that was another case of, uh, you know, the government overstepping their boundaries to an extent or attempting to, where it wasn't just about preventing, you know, TikTok from taking data. They were going to make it illegal to have VPNs. They were going to make it so that the government could just take all of someone's internet data, like in you know, just right. based on nothing. And it was it was so so overreaching, and I'm glad it didn't pass at the time. But man, it's like that's one of the right. worries as well with AI. I can see that becoming a problem where you know the government tries to kind of reel it in, keep it from being as widely mm-hmm. as possible, and then in the process of that passing laws that take away, you know, the freedoms of people and making it, you know, one step further into, you know, right. a lack of an open access internet. Well, I mean, Josh, it's not like that hasn't been done before. Uh, to that, mm-hmm. I would just respond. You have to look at your history after 9-11, right? The way America mm-hmm. clamped down with the Patriot Act and things like that. Uh, so if a government is really scared and it really wants to take action, it will take action. I don't think mm-hmm. uh, AI is going to be that big of an influence in that area, right? And again, I, yeah. I come from India, so um, I'm not sure how well aware you are of what's happening in India, but our government has enacted a lot of strict laws around technology and IT uh, over the last couple of years, uh, even going as far as to ban VPNs and a lot of mm-hmm. other tools and software. So. I feel like that's just a given. When you live in a democracy, it's a social contract, right? The people and the government. Mm -hmm. And you have to give up some freedoms to access some rights. That's just how a democracy works. So in this case, uh, India was, you know, willing to go and say, all right, we're giving up the freedom to access these kind of internet tools, to access this kind of, uh, you know, freedom, because Mm -hmm. we want the development that the current Indian government has brought in. And I don't have Mm -hmm. much of a problem with that, because I feel like the development we've made far outpaces the restrictions the government has placed on the internet, uh, right? Mm-hmm. 
So that's a chicken and egg situation, really. I feel like it just depends on who you are and uh, you know what your personal mm-hmm. philosophies are. And I don't think that uh, the AI debate is really going to you know be influenced by that. I think it's just what's going to matter right now is what can AI do, right? Uh, mm-hmm. For example, I would just like to point out that recently uh, Facebook announced that it is going to introduce an ad-free subscription model in the European Union. Whereby it's uh, the idea is that it's no longer going to be taking the data uh, from its users, right? And that's under mm-hmm. EU law. So Facebook's yeah. entire business model has now been upended. And some of you know some people can look at it and say, "Hey, that is not fair. They're taking away my ability to access Facebook because I can't afford to pay for the subscription." That's a fair mm-hmm. argument. But I mean, this is what the people voted for. They voted for a government who voted for this law. So uh, you know, I feel like that's where people chose to be and they're okay with that so i feel like we'd also reach a similar situation with ai down the line mm-hmm. where you know a government is going to say that okay this is the law we're going to pass and if you're accepted then keep us in power if not remove us from power and uh, you know that's where the, the call the onus will pretty much be on you the citizens to you know go with that or not yeah i know i know the, our, our president biden just passed a, an executive order for a regarding ai where mm-hmm. they're supposed to share like the safety test results and other information with the government as right. they're developing AI programs. And I don't know how I, I don't know all of the specifics. I just remember reading like the general overview of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, like on one hand, it like I, I'll, I'll use your Facebook in the European Union example. On one hand, it's like, okay, you know, I, I get that people want to be able to access Facebook and you mm-hmm. know, they don't want to pay for it. And I get that. I, I think that's reasonable. You have to think like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, a lot of these major social media platforms are like the modern day public square where yeah. people go and express their opinions. And so having that blocked off due to like, uh, you know, paid model is frustrating. Mm-hmm. I think it, Facebook likes to take everything like to the opposite extremes. Like when it's free, they're just taking all of your data sometimes without mm-hmm. you knowing it. Like I know they have the terms and conditions, but that's mm-hmm. part of what they got in trouble for was not outlining yeah. everything that they were doing with people's data. So you have that. And now because they were being reined in, they're charging people in order to, you know, comply with the European Union's restrictions on them. They're charging yeah. people to make up for lost revenue that they wouldn't, they would, they would normally have for selling your data, essentially. Yeah, exactly. See, Facebook is a business at the end of the day, right? They need Mm -hmm. to make money. They're not a charity organization. They are a capitalist company. So Mm -hmm. they need to make money one way or another. And you can't fault them for saying that, okay, if we can't make money of ads, then we're going to make money of subscriptions. Now, it's not Mm -hmm. to say that the subscription model is mandatory. It's being introduced now as an option for Facebook users in the EU. So Mm -hmm. I believe we'll see people who can afford it, definitely subscribe, and the privacy protections will definitely be increased around that. Uh, but again, like you said, yeah, the flip side now is, hey, what if someone, uh, you know, if they do make it mandatory down the line to say, okay, now you have to pay to access Facebook, what's that going to do? Mm-hmm. Because it's a public square. And that's where I think we need a wider range debate about what our public square should be. Because mm-hmm. clearly we cannot let one American corporation decide what a public square is and who gets access mm-hmm. to it. Right. And again, I, I, this is one place where I personally have a lot of problems reconciling the fact, because on one hand, I do believe a public square is somewhere where everyone should have a, 
a equal voice have an equal mm-hmm. opportunity but at the same time we've seen that over the last 5 6 years facebook especially twitter it became yes. a home to these right wing lunatics right you had qanon you had the proud boys you had all of these organizations and the question is okay how much space should you give them because these aren't just people who are out there trying to make a point because they believe it they're actively out there undermining democracy and you know undermining people's right to live yeah so that's where now we need to have a wider debate about what is a public square who controls that public square because if you're going to give control to a company like facebook or twitter then suddenly that power is taken away from the people because now the corporation decides and that changes the whole social contract that we have as a democracy especially with uh, I'll use twitter as an example the way elon musk will, i mean it's it's you know there's it's been widely discussed and there's evidence of it where it's people he has a problem with specific, like personally you know kicking them off of the platform just because mm-hmm. he owns it And exactly that can become a problem especially if, like like we were saying what is a public square if one person can control who gets to talk in that public square it's yep. not public if i mean i and again i understand this has been rehashed in the us specifically a number of times about a private company's ability to decline service to people they don't want to serve and yep. i i like i said it's it's weird it's it's <laughs> It's not black and white, right? It, you can't just say, yeah. "Oh, this is how it should be, and this is how it shouldn't be." But at the exactly. same time, it's like clearly something isn't. It's not perfect. It's very obvious. It's not perfect if one person gets to decide everything. But at the same time, you can't just step in and be like, "Hey, we get to control your entire business because so many people use it." You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I I agree completely. That's where the yeah. challenge exists because. you have built these tools right facebook and mm-hmm. twitter let's take facebook for example right when the company launched basically zuckerberg said look i just want to build a tool that allows people to find people on my campus a very noble mm-hmm. idea but and quickly then he made money. yeah then <laughs> he had to make money right because you can't yeah. sustain a business like i said these are businesses these mm-hmm. are companies they're not charitable organizations so they need to mm-hmm. make money they have to find a way to sustain themselves and therefore they just grew and they grew without any restriction and again i would rate that as probably one of the great advantages of being in america because you guys have such lax laws around uh, you know organizations and businesses and what they can and cannot do uh, you really believe lax laws around pretty much anything that isn't women's rights at this point <laughs> that it's, is true uh, it's a real yeah. mess yeah. <laughs> yeah that is true but yeah i mean see that's the point you you let facebook grow from a small uh, thing on harvard campus to a globally recognized organization that could dictate the flow of an election so mm-hmm. that was not by accident or by design it was it was a, i think it's a mix of both and that's the result now we are dealing with the consequences and that's really why i feel like the current mishmash approach that we have is just not great to deal with the internet in general and i'm not just talking about facebook or twitter but any internet uh, you know based tool like ai we cannot deal yeah. with it individually as a country or as a state it has to be dealt with at a global level mm-hmm. yeah cuz it's kind of going back to what i was saying before about like you know the government shouldn't be able to step in and just tell somebody how to run their entire business like especially based on the fact that it's you know how popular it is cuz then you're getting into the 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 weeds of all right how big does a company have to be before the government is allowed to step in right mm-hmm. they're not yeah. going to step in it with me running my business over here with two employees 
right? We're too small yeah. to make a difference. We're not public square. But exactly. then, you know, it's like, oh, what about a hundred thousand people, a million people? Like at what point then does it count as a public square? When is the government allowed to step in? And it's just, it, it's too, there's no way to set a, a specific number on yeah. it and have it be fair. Exactly. So that's where I feel like what really needs to happen now is if we're serious about tackling AI or social media regulations and all of this, I genuinely believe that it's no longer a feasible solution to think of it as an individual country or an individual state. We have to now tackle these problems through an organization like the UN. Now, this is just my personal belief. I'm not saying the UN is perfect. Of all the research and reading I've done, especially around Ukraine, Russia, and the new uh, issue between Palestine and Israel, the Mm -hmm. UN is probably one of the most poorly organized organizations we have on the planet. It is incapable of making a difference right now. Right, but I still feel like the fact that all these countries with all their varying ideologies can come together in one place and have a discussion makes it the most conducive environment for us to tackle these issues and issues like climate change, which really you need to tackle as a global, as a community of humanity. You can no longer be isolated and tackle these problems individually. Hmm. Especially if you look at like recent issues in the US, we can't even tackle our own problems on our own. How are we going (laughs) to... fix things that affect the world exactly yeah yeah. and and that is that is very much my concern josh because again see i'll go back to the example of uh, facebook because i think it's really nice to look at the effect Mm -hmm. it's had on the world now your own 2016 presidential elections were greatly affected and there are these well let's just say there's still rumors about russian interference nothing's been proven yet but right there's i think enough evidence there to say okay maybe the russians did something to facebook now Russia did not just target America. It targeted a lot of other countries around the world. That's what we've been hearing. And I think India is a good example for that, right? Because the way we use Facebook in India is very different to the way you guys use it in America. But the fact of the matter is the incumbent Indian government decided that Facebook is still a great tool and they used it to great effect. Like Narendra Modi, the current prime minister, even when he was mounting his first campaign to become prime minister of the country, he was able to use Facebook so effectively to reach out to people, right? And nobody understood this, but they were being manipulated and it ended up delivering a massive victory for him, right? And this is an American organization. They didn't have much of a presence in India. They still don't really, if you look at it. But the fact is they were able to influence an Indian election. And my only point of contention is how can an American organization decide what's good for India? Now, I'm not saying Modi should have lost the election or that he cheated or whatever. I'm glad Narendra Modi is the prime minister. He's done a great job for the country. But I am still quite upset that it took an American organization to tell people of India that, hey, this is a guy you should vote for. This is a guy you should make prime minister. Why why didn't that come from the Indian government or Indian private sector? That That's part of the... I remember looking at this a little bit where if you look around the world, the way Facebook manipulates the information available throughout different countries and they will assist in helping to pick, you know, prime minister, like the leader in general, Mm -hmm. I guess I could say, since there's different titles ever, but they will, you know, they will cut off information for people that maybe Facebook doesn't agree with as much and they'll limit that information. I mean, it's the same thing that happened on Twitter. I mean, there, there is so much information being, you know, hidden from the users regarding, you know, the election, uh, mm-hmm. when COVID was a thing, I mean that, yeah, it was a whole problem. And 
it continues to be a problem regarding a lot of number, like a number of issues. I know, especially yeah. with the the current issues in, you know, with Israel and Palestine and all that, it is, a, there's a lot, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of misinformation being spread in general. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's going to be hard. Like I will, I understand it's going to be hard to like manage that, especially on such a, from on such a large platform. Um, yeah. But like I said, it's, it's hard to have a company uh, manage all that without regulating them. But then how do you regulate them fairly? Cause everyone, anyone that's going to regulate a business like that is going to have their own biases as well. And it's, yeah. it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a mess. <laughs> no, I see. I think that's a very good point you've hit on. And I've, I've thought about this a lot, right? Uh, because it's one of those questions that literally keeps me up at night. Like I said, QAnon and the Proud Boys, and these aren't people that should have such a big public say, right, in, in the way things are run. But at the same time, you can't discount them because if you do discount them, if say your voice and your opinion is not valid, you're not a democracy, right? If, if you mm -hmm. shut up the QAnon and the Proud Boys because you say, hey, what you're saying is false information, what you're saying is, is all just conspiracy theories, and you push them to mm -hmm. the fringe, you are not a true democracy, right? Mm -hmm. So where is that line of allowing these people to have their opinion, but not influencing the world or influencing elections the way they have so far. And I don't think we can reach a solution now, right? Because we have let these tools grow too big and too large to regulate. And even if you do try to regulate them now, like what the European Union did, okay? Now Facebook is going to introduce a paid model in the EU. I would like access to that model. I don't want Facebook to access my data and I'm more than happy to pay them. Right? Because I do use Instagram, I do use Facebook on a daily basis. And I want to use these tools. I really like using them, but I don't want my data going out. But because I live in the UAE, I don't have access to that software. I mean, the subscription. So I've really thought about this. How do you regulate these organizations? And that's where I've come up with the thought that maybe the United Nations is probably the only way to do this. Because if you tackle this problem as you know a, a global organization the way the UN is, you can ensure that whatever solution you reach is at least going to be binding globally, right? Is at least you're going to take into account every country and people from all over the world and all of their needs and their unique circumstances. And I feel like that approach might be better for democracy overall. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's complicated. I mean, you think of like, specifically with like probably is just, like neo-Nazis essentially in the United States. I mean, mm -hmm. it's sharp contrast to what you have in like Germany, for instance. I mean, Germany has mm -hmm. a lot of laws in place outlawing, you know, Holocaust denial, Nazi propaganda and things of that nature. Whereas mm -hmm. in the US, it's been pretty much settled law where people are allowed to say whatever they want, have, you know, the flags and everything like that. I mean, we <sighs> see these, it, it's, it's ridiculous to be, in my opinion. I mean, I think it's pretty reasonable to say that as well. But I mean, we have people in Florida on overpasses flying Nazi flags out yeah. front of Disney. Anyone they disagree with is a Nazi, is, is socialist communist. I don't even know. They just they don't <laughs> understand the words that they're using. So it's hard to yeah. figure out what they're even trying to call them. Exactly. But, I, yeah. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on like how Germany has handled that as opposed to like other places like the US? Okay. So I think it's an unfair comparison you made. Because you're looking okay. at two societies that have evolved very differently. Now, when mm -hmm. Germany was recovering from World War I and World War II more predominantly, they mm -hmm. understood that they were to blame. 
they understood that they were at fault for what happened especially with the holocaust right mm-hmm. so there was a sense of shame there was a sense of guilt in the german people in the german society so these laws that you talk about restricting you know speaking of nazism mm-hmm. openly displaying those symbols it comes from that guilt right mm-hmm. whereas america didn't really have that kind of a guilt right mm-hmm. america was always right from its founding the ideology was we're going to be a country that's independent we're going to be a country that places high value on independence which is why mm-hmm. right from you know your uh, declaration of independence all your mm-hmm. uh, democracy your history of democracy is so rooted in your personal independence whether that's the second mm-hmm. amendment uh, whether that's the first amendment right you guys have placed a premium on a person being allowed to do what they want to do because that was how america was born right basically what a bunch of people from europe said screw it we don't want to live under the monarchy and live under a, a you know a christian church that says this is the only way to do things we want to do things the way we want to do there's no guilt there was just anger and a, a, a real uh, what do you say willingness to break out from that mold so therefore yeah. american society has evolved to that point where you place such a high premium on your first amendment and your ability to speak what you want to speak whereas mm-hmm. germany does not come from that background right especially the current laws you see around the holocaust and things like that it comes from a sense of shame and guilt and therefore they are very clear about what they want people to know and how they want to uh, you know express that mm. but having said that if you do look at germany right now nazism is back on the rise i don't know if you're aware but there is a political party called the alternative for germany afd they are now currently uh, i think they won two seats in the last german election for parliament and that's a big concern because the afd is practically sprouting uh, nazi propaganda alt right propaganda just being very careful not to directly associate with hitler and his ideology but it's more or less the same thing so even germany is not able to escape this swing to the far right that is currently happening mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting and i mean i think there's a similar thing kind of going on in italy right now as well isn't there Mm-hmm. there is and uh, i think it's just a, a situation on a very larger scale because if you look at history right you will always find there's this pendulum swing in the way people think about the governance mm-hmm. yeah. especially in the era of democracy right first you had very libertarian governments very uh, you know left wing where people were mm-hmm. in, interested in socialism because they knew that to grow you need to grow together right and then you mm-hmm. had the swing to the right because suddenly you had this vast influx of immigration and if you look at it that's basically what started world war 2 right hitler said hey these jews are immigrating to my country they're taking over my jobs they're taking over the economy and they're controlling our fates we cannot let that happen and mm. he got together with mussolini and all of this was happened because of these people they felt that okay we've become too open we've become too welcome and that led to a spread in the right across europe right and then that was crushed because it got too far but you've had the waves come and go since then right I think the election of Donald Trump because 2016 when Trump won the election he was not the only right wing leader to get into power at the time you had Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil you had uh, yeah. uh, Boris Johnson in the UK you had Narendra Modi in India you had mm-hmm. Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines so you had this real rise of right wing government all over the world because at some point people were just frustrated my personal understanding is and i could be wrong here but my personal understanding is that it's because of you know the world becoming so open interconnected and immigration being more frequent and people mm-hmm. felt like hey we should not be handing out these freebies we should not be you know welcoming people like this taking away from us so mm-hmm. that's where 
that allowed these people to come into power. And that's what we're seeing right now play around, especially in Europe, because over the last two or three decades, Europe has dealt with the brunt of the wars in the Middle East, right? All of these people from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Europe was their only entry point, their only safe harbor. So all of these people fled there. And I'm, to a point, I do agree, you know, how much can Europe take in? Because it's a finite land space, there are finite resources. And that's, a, you know, I think it's just how we think about immigration in general. Because right now, global immigration is pretty much dictated by wars. It's dictated yeah. by, you know, who is in power where and what kind of uh, things are happening. For example, with Palestine now, right? Let's take the Gaza Strip. Israel's uh, clear philosophy is to just eliminate the Gaza Strip entirely. So yeah. all these people now, these 1 million plus people, where are they going to go? Probably to Egypt or Jordan or any of the Arab states nearby, Something, right? Yeah. But this is, again, it's a political migration. It's, it's being forced migration for political reasons. And mm-hmm. if we don't control that now, if we don't find a way to deal with that now, what's going to happen in, in 50 or 100 years when we have to deal with migration due to global warming and climate change, right? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. But that's why we need to understand, okay, people have these feelings, which is why they're voting for these people in power. And, uh, you know, we just need to understand that it's probably a phase that at some point people will also realize that, okay, we have gone too far, right? And we need to swing back the other way now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with the misinformation, you know, part of things where, yeah, you're you're absolutely right as far as like things change based on the immigration, things like that. But then there's also the political messaging behind a lot of it. I mean, we have a lot of that. Again, I I try not to talk on behalf of like what other countries' political messaging is because I'm not as in tune with it as mm-hmm. I am in my own country. Um, but I mean, like how often in the US, I mean, we see it all the time where it's, you know, people like, they, I mean, they use Mexicans as an ex- the primary example because that's mm-hmm. just the message they go. Uh, yeah. But, you know, people are coming in from Mexico and they're taking all of the jobs and they're taking your houses and they're bringing crime with them. And mm-hmm. a large portion of that is just not true. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll tackle it. <clears throat> excuse me, I'll tackle it in order, like taking our jobs. Most of the jobs, you know, immigrants are taking are jobs that were already available that people weren't interested in doing, right? Yeah. I mean, you think of what type of jobs are a lot of the immigrants taking when they come to the U.S.? It's like farm, yep. like agricultural jobs. Yeah, manual yeah, labor I mean, and blue collar jobs, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so those are jobs that were already available, um, you know, you know, bringing crime with them. It's I, I don't have the statistics, so this is I, I'm not gonna be able to make a good point on this. But statistically right. speaking, it's not the case. Like the immigrants are lower in crime rate because they don't want to get deported. Right. So yeah. Be on their best behavior. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, right. it's a lot of his political messaging. Like I mean, we saw that in 2016. We still see it to a slightly lesser extent now. Of you know, building the wall across the border. Uh, deporting these people. I mean, we had all those problems, and I think it's still going on a little bit with people from, you know, Texas, uh, maybe Arizona, I forget which. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it was more Texas specifically, though, of just sending people on buses to other states. Yeah. And, you know, doing that as like a political message stunt, essentially. Yeah. I mean, to yeah. that, again, uh, I would just like to add something because this got me thinking okay. uh, Brexit, right? The UK. Brexit, One of the yeah. key messages behind Brexit was what? Immigrants are taking our jobs. We need to take control of our borders, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Brexit happened. And everyone should have been happy. At least, you know, the right wing, the conservative party should have been happy. But in yeah. 2022, uh, 
I came across this very interesting article, and it's from the Guardian. The headline says, "Up to 60 million in UK crops left rot owing to lack of workers." Yeah. Okay, that's that's the that's the effect. The these people yeah. who are harping about immigrants taking our jobs, the jobs they were coming for, like you said, were all the blue collar jobs or the manual jobs. Yeah. Immigrants were coming in from the European Union to work as farm workers, to work as laborers. And mm. thanks to Brexit, they were not coming now. And suddenly, you have nobody to pick the fruit, nobody to you know harvest the crops. Yeah, so, that was a huge thing in Florida here as exactly. well. Is that they just they do not have the the people they need, the employees they need now to to do all like the the work. And so there's a huge worker shortage. Exactly. Yeah, you know, they're complaining. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That that's. That's the challenge, you know. That's the situation we're living in. Because again, people's attention spans have become so short. We are mm-hmm. captivated, and we are more interested in a small caption than the full story. And that's what's exactly. happening yeah. right now with immigration. We're like Brexit is to me the perfect example because the UK was doing really well before that, and then suddenly mm-hmm. they got into the situation where they don't know how to deal. Like they still don't have any border checks up and running, and you have a lot mm-hmm. of. fruit and vegetable left rotting at the border because it's not able to be processed in time and like i said mm-hmm. shortage of labor there's no a massive labor shortage in the uk and there's just no way for them to deal with it and i i know a similar situations playing out in the us so mm-hmm. again i don't think necessarily you have to blame social media for this because if you look at it adolf hitler was so very able to use the radio to get yeah. people to get behind the nazi ideology so technology itself i think is is probably to blame right The reason that we I, I my my point wasn't like social media in general. I just mm-hmm. meant it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying with like reading the headlines but not getting the details. Yeah. I'll use the Protect Act again as the example of the TikTok ban essentially in the US is what they're pioneering it as. But mm-hmm. there are so many other details in that that people weren't paying attention to because they just skimmed the headline of oh this is the TikTok ban like the anti TikTok <laughs> bill, right? And I think yeah. that was the same thing with Brexit to an extent, right? they wanted their own sort of independence from the EU and you know you see a lot of issues with it with you know employment like not having the employees they need uh, i think yep. one of the other things was uh there's a lot of people who couldn't travel to like their vacation homes yeah like the canary islands and things like that <laughs> and yeah, that, that uh, was very upset by that and exactly. again it it's, goes back to oh i'm going to look at like the main headline of the article essentially as opposed to reading into how it will affect me personally exactly I I think one of the most uh, iconic images for me was this huge bus that uh, Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage this other architect of Brexit they had this giant red bus that would go around at the time of the Brexit vote where they said that I don't remember the number but they said a certain number of money would be available for the NHS which is England's public health service if people mm-hmm. voted for Brexit and that was it if you look at a bulk of people who voted for Brexit a lot of them go back and talk about this red bus as the key reason they did that but now you know all these years later that money is suddenly not available for the nhs the nhs mm-hmm. is still crumbling there's still a shortage of nurses and doctors and then those doctors that are there are just not getting paid well and you literally have hospitals that are crumbling and collapsing and the government says we don't have money to fund any of this so again that's a good example of you know people just not looking beyond that headline or beyond that one caption because everyone was so captivated by hey if we leave the eu then we have this money available nobody bothered to get into the details and i think mm-hmm. brexit's a great example of that because it shows you how short sighted political decisions can be if you're not careful yeah yeah and like 
like I said, I mean, we, we have that here. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, like people having, you know, it's political messaging again. Like it, they're having, you, yeah, I'm stumbling on my words here. <laughs> Let me get my thoughts on her. Like the border issues, right? Of immigration. Right. You know, they say, you know, that's like on the ballots here. Like, oh, what, like, what it, do you think this is a big issue? And people are like, yeah, absolutely. We need to get our borders in control. It's like, I live in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We right. are almost 2,000 miles away from the border to to mexico right and yet they still think it's a like an issue here and that yeah. was i mean that definitely goes back to just political messaging and it's not really rooted in reality do you think people crossing the border into texas are taking all of the jobs here absolutely not mm-hmm. i can walk outside and it is a lot of you know it's just all white people is right. where i live to put it bluntly right it's just yeah. it's just how it is but yet that's still a hot button issue because that's what, you know, their political party has made it out to be. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's weird. I think in the U.S. in particular, though, that's it's always going to be that sort of a thing where the left is going to focus on social issues and the right will focus on the, uh, you know, the immigration. More, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Like, I don't know. The, the right is going to win on monetary sort of mm-hmm. based things where it's like, oh, yeah. this affects like the money, you know, inflation, this and that. Whereas the left will like go after, oh, but don't you feel bad for these people? We need to protect these. It's it's about people on one side. It's about money on the other almost as far yeah. as a lot of like hot button issues. And then they'll go back and forth in the middle on current, you know, political things where it's like, you know, abortion, uh, you know, transgender rights, things like that. Like those are the yeah. current hot button issues. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I think, see, that's what I find America to be a bit of an irony. Like, you mm-hmm. guys were perfectly okay sending troops and military hardware and spending millions on a war in Afghanistan, a country that was so inconsequential to what happened. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, whatever, 9-11, okay, we know who's responsible for that. But, you know, I feel like, mm-hmm. why did you have to go all the way to Afghanistan to make a point, Right. And uh, if you were really concerned yeah. about your about your well-being and about your security, why didn't America mm-hmm. ever send troops to Guatemala or you know any of the Central American countries where there's genuine mm-hmm. violence that's actively affecting you? Because a lot of these immigrants that you complain about are coming from Central America. They're coming mm-hmm. from countries afflicted with violence where there's no solution available. And again, it's one of those great questions that stumps me. Why is there no debate about sending troops? Or, you know, getting involved politically with the Central American countries. Yeah, I think part of the main thing is they want to, I mean, obviously think about like how the, the money gets used, right? We send all of the money to weapon and vehicle manufacturers here in the U.S. They make all the stuff that the military uses. Mm-hmm. And then they want to send those people to wherever they can, where it's they're not going to get hurt. Because the last thing they want to do is send us soldiers into a place where they're going to people are going to get killed like american soldiers are going to get killed because that looks bad right from them you know when it comes time to vote Mm -hmm. people are going to say hey you sent my family members to die and uh, they don't want to do that and obviously there are losses in afghanistan and stuff yeah exactly i mean if you guys were so serious about that then i don't think afghanistan would have been a 20-year war or iraq or iran would have been an ongoing conflict for us my point my point being was like we went over to that because it was, it was far easy to, mm. it was far enough away where we could kind of brush aside and there was money to be made. Yeah. Sending troops down to like Guatemala, uh, Venezuela, whatever, it, I feel like their, inf- 
some of their infrastructure is a bit more in depth and that it's too close to home as well, where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, we can see exactly what's happening. You know, it, people are getting killed. Like it's, it's too close to home and it's, it's too in your face. Yeah. Uh, where it's just a bad look. And there's not exactly. enough money for, I, there's not enough money to be made. Right. Like, over, you know, you talk about like Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, things like that. There's oil fields that we can control, mm-hmm. make money off of. Right. And I think yeah. that's the bottom line. And that's not, that's what happens with a lot of issues in the US. Yeah. It comes down to how much money can be made and how much do you have to spend on politicians to get the law passed. Unfortunately, yeah. in most cases, it's not very much money at all. Some of these politicians, <laughs> it costs like a thousand to two thousand dollars on some issues and they'll do whatever you want. Yeah. It is shockingly low. I, I get that. I think that's, again, that's the only thing I can think of as a reason. I feel like, okay, you had oil and with Afghanistan, you had the opium and all of that. So I feel like that's probably mm-hmm. the only reason uh, America was willing to wage a war all that many miles away when they could have, mm-hmm. if they wanted a war, I mean, like I said, Guatemala, Venezuela, Mexico, I mean, these countries are suffering from violence for decades, not just years, but decades. And I feel mm-hmm. like if you had a problem to solve, you could have just solved that one there and you could have solved your immigration issue as well. If, that was really of a concern. But yeah, this is one of those things that I keep thinking about from time to time. <laughs> I think part of it too, and it, this doesn't really help my point because you think of like Afghanistan, I mean, it might be different uh, depending on where you're from, but like in the US in particular, a lot of people are very uneducated as far as mm-hmm. like, you know, geography of the world. Like they yeah. don't know the difference between Afghanistan, you know, Iraq, Iran, like mm-hmm. even like Kazakhstan, like you have so many of the countries in that general area where yeah. they just don't know the difference. So it's kind of forgettable, but you right. have like the current, like look at like U- Ukraine and Russia. Everyone knows Russia, right? Everyone yeah. has heard of Russia. Like they know it. And so it's like, oh, well, I don't want to deal with Russia. Right. And they, you know, again, it's political messaging. I don't know. I- I'm not educated enough to say like how best to handle the situation, but mm-hmm. Some people will say, hey, we're sending money to Ukraine to help them defend their country because we can't let Russia go in. Otherwise, they'll just keep going into Europe. Yep. And then, you know, the other side will say, uh, oh, well, why are we just sending Ukraine money that could be used it at home? Right. Yeah. And I- there is you can see both sides to an extent, but I think both sides are disingenuous about how they're they're wording it in a way to make it seem like it's harsher than it really is. You know, like when they, when people complain about sending money to Ukraine because it could be used at home, mm-hmm. you have to think, how is that money being spent? Well, we're giving the money to American manufacturing companies and they're mm-hmm. sending these things over to Ukraine. Uh, yeah. As far as like how that, I forget how much we've spent so far, 110 billion, 150 billion, I don't remember. And yeah, it's a lot of money, but we are the richest country on earth. Right. I mean, yeah. the amount of money that we've sent over there is nothing compared to like how much we spend on other stuff. Uh, and then plus, you know, they say we sh- we're sending that money when we could be using it at home. When it comes time to vote on whether or not to use that money on like healthcare and issues at home, they vote no anyway. Yeah. So it's all just political um, messaging. <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's it's what you may point out does make sense. And I feel like that's also a concern. But I mean, Ukraine is. A genuine issue that we need to resolve and i feel like mm-hmm. if america pulls out of its funding then we're going to be in trouble and yeah. i i go back to the world war ii because i think it's a great uh you know similarity 
what happened when hitler invaded czechoslovakia right neville chamberlain mm. went there and he said okay you're going to stop in czechoslovakia you're not going further and he waved around the space of paper that he said hitler had signed on his return and everyone thought yeah. okay that's it there's no greater war but hitler didn't give a damn he continued to push into europe and i feel yeah. like putin's at the same uh, mental state right now where he's very clear about what he wants and mm-hmm. uh, you know he, he uh, he's historically been known for that he believes that russia is not just russia it's the entire ussr so putin is not mm-hmm. going to stop at ukraine it's a well known fact right yeah. and naturally america needs to come to ukraine's defense not just because of whatever political uh, you know uh, documents or agreements or you know Uh, regulations mm. you have but because that is fundamentally the right thing to do and yeah. uh, right now that's my greatest concern see with uh, israel and palestine that's a problem mm. that goes back to the british it's not something america can resolve it's something those two have to work out for themselves but U- ukraine and russia is not that kind of an issue ukraine was very clear it wanted independence uh, you know when the fall of the soviet union happened so I feel like if you can't just sit by and watch while a country gets invaded like that, you do need to take action. And granted, Russia is a nuclear country, so you can't just send your troops in. I think that's the first thing America would have done had it not been nuclear armed, right? You guys would have just sent in the military and got this situation done with. But this is the second best thing you can do, and you should continue doing it. And that's my whole concern now with Mike Johnson being elected as a new speaker. He's made it very clear that he's going to separate. aid to israel and aid to ukraine and i don't think that is uh, a good thing and it might have a very big ripple effect he's a very bizarre per- he's a super super religious as well just in mm-hmm. general yeah and, i heard uh, so yeah, yeah i mean that like taking away women's rights and things like there's a whole i won't get into the whole cuz that's kind of off topic but yeah like it, it comes down to i can understand to a certain extent like how m- what is the us's job in managing conflicts around the world right mm-hmm. like i get that we have the money and we have the military uh backing in order to do realistically we could individually we could handle almost any conflict around the world right on its mm-hmm. own like not i'm not saying we would resolve it in a good way but like just from brute sh- brute force we could go anywhere and just be like all right this is we're resolving this right You know, right. If, if yeah. we needed to go into Ukraine, we just solved the problem. It'd be done very poorly, obviously, but it it would be resolved in one way or another, right? If we wanted to go mm-hmm. into South America, we just go in, we take over a country. It could probably happen. There would be mm-hmm. obviously consequences for all these things. I, I get that. Yeah. But just from a brute strength force, uh, brute force side of things, we have the military to do that. And exactly. Then the, the problem is the problem is on the other hand is like. what is wh- why do we need to get involved in every single issue right mm-hmm. like you mentioned before like why go into afghanistan and do, and do this like we're not leaving these countries in better situations than we found them in a lot of the yeah. times right i mean like vietnam was a big one we went in there mm-hmm. we lost essentially and we destroyed the country in the process you know you look yep. at Iraq, Afghanistan, like everywhere we go, we just leave destruction. Then we pull out and say, "Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we did what we could." It's like, all right, but why? <laughs> you know, and, and I, like I said, I get like the the whole Russia Ukraine thing. It mm-hmm. you can't just let one country take over anything that they want just because the leader feels like it. I get right. that, and then like yeah. with Israel, Palestine, like what? How? 
it, it's a thing that's like, how do you solve this issue as peacefully as possible? You right. Know, it, yeah. It, you want to, you want to see it. So you want the world ideally to not have these conflicts, but greed gets in the way a lot of the times. I mean, that is one way to look at it. Like obviously mm-hmm. being involved in all these places does help the American economy. And I don't think mm-hmm. that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Because obviously if there's one thing that you guys are suffering from, it is the uh, globalization has taken away a lot of your jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And manufacturing and all that has moved abroad. Your IT and telecom and support jobs have moved to India. So I feel like, okay, America needs a job and it, uh, needs an economy to sustain itself. What is your economy? And I feel like, okay, maybe military hardware manufacturing of that sort of thing is is a good place to be. So mm. it's it's not on a whole a very wrong idea. But yeah, it I think you guys need to be a little more cautious and careful about where you get involved and how you get involved. Uh, because you are leaving places, like you said, very rightly. You, when you leave a country, you leave it in a bad state, in, in a much yeah. worse state than when you went in. So uh, mm-hmm. you got to balance both of those things in a very careful way. And, and I don't think there's a right answer, which is why, again, I just go back to the UN. Because when the UN was founded, right, the, the idea was very simple. We don't want World War II to happen again. We don't want to see millions die because one person had such a big ego. But the yeah. way it's structured today, it no longer satisfies that mandate, right? Uh, the way the Security Council is set up, for example, right? Every single country there has a veto power. And the Security Council is a very exclusive group of just the world's greatest superpowers. So mm-hmm. if you want to take action against Russia, well, Russia has got a veto power. So the current situation, the current structures are just outdated. They make no sense. They need to be updated. And I feel like if we just have the political will to do that, I don't think we'd be seeing what's happening today happening. But mm-hmm. sadly, that's not the case. And and therefore, we're in the situation now where America still has to continue to be the world's policeman because that's the kind of role you guys decided you wanted to be in. Yeah. Um, that Plus, uh, you know, moving forward too, I mean, China and Taiwan is kind of a, an issue that's been on the horizon for a while. Mm-hmm. We're kind of waiting to see what happens, you know. and Right. It's yeah, I, I think that's probably part of, you know, the political changes happening in the US as well, revolving around conflicts around the world. A lot I mean I mean, ever nobody wants to see American troops go out and, you know, get hurt mm-hmm. or anything. Like we don't a- average Americans do not want that. Nobody does. Yeah. But obviously a lot of people are like, Oh, of course we should support Ukraine or we shouldn't or, you know, this and that like Israel Palestine, like that. Obviously, there's differing opinions on that, but mm-hmm. ideally, you know, everyone pretty much agrees. Okay, we don't want to send people all around the world, but you know, we see with you know China and Taiwan, you know, there's differing opinions. Like, oh, but we shouldn't get involved there, or we mm-hmm. should get involved there, and so that is an issue. You know, during the next presidential election, all right, how would mm-hmm. you react if you know China decided they wanted to take Taiwan? You know that. That's going to be a, right. an issue that people vote, make a decision on, you know, right. it's, you know, the Ukraine thing, like, will you support sending funding to Ukraine? That's going to be another thing people vote on. Uh, right. I, I, it's, there are huge issues like that. And then mm-hmm. the other thing people will vote on is how do you feel about like people's like gender identity? It's like right. things that realistically <laughs> shouldn't matter. Uh, exactly. you know, it's like, I, 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 I've never understood why people care so much about other people and their business behind closed doors. 
it, it yeah. blows my mind. It's like, if it's not hurting <laughs> anybody, why do you care? It, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah. It, it's one of those ironies in life, funny. right? Because like I said earlier, you guys have this uh, very, very proud heritage and history of saying that our individual right to exist and our freedoms are so valuable. And the whole foundation mm-hmm. of American uh, America as a country comes from that. And now suddenly you are, you have concern with what kind of healthcare a woman gets or what gender yeah. somebody is. It doesn't compute. But, uh, yeah, you know, just to go strange. back a little bit to what you said right now about yeah. Taiwan, uh, yeah. I don't think that we are going to take that situation as callously or as half-heartedly as we're taking Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. Because America is a lot more at stake with Taiwan. And it yeah. comes down to your uh, semiconductors, right? I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're aware, but Taiwan accounts for a close to 80% or 90% of the world's semiconductor manufacturing. I am aware because I have yeah? investments in that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Great. So, uh, you know, yeah. that's something that you cannot do without, right? Semiconductors mm-hmm. are the basis for everything from the iPhone to your Patriot missiles. So... If China does decide to invade Taiwan, I feel like the American government will not be a split as they currently are on Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. At least that's one thing that the Republicans and Democrats can agree on is that China is a dangerous enemy. So I feel like if Mm -hmm. Taiwan does happen, at least we'll have a more united front, a more cohesive response. And you have a lot more at stake. At least with Ukraine, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the Ukraine is considered Europe's breadbasket. A bulk of wheat comes from there. But you guys don't have that issue because you pretty much get all your wheat from your own farms. So the wheat shortages around the world aren't really affecting you. So Ukraine, whether Russia takes over the entire country or part of it doesn't make a difference to America. But Taiwan will. And and therefore, I feel like that is going to be something that you take a lot more seriously. And uh, I'm not sure how the response is going to be. But I know that there's going to be a more cohesive response and definitely a more serious response to that. Yeah, because with Taiwan, we're protecting our own investments with Ukraine, mm-hmm. we're just trying to stop a country we're at odds with, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not quite as personal, I guess you could say. Like yeah, exactly. Stake in it. Yeah, exactly. You you have nothing at stake in Ukraine, and and that's pretty much the way it has been, right, for a very long time. Like, if you look at mm-hmm. the current situation, why is America even giving a damn about Ukraine's only because Ukraine is on Poland's border? Poland's a NATO nation. Right. Mm-hmm. If Ukraine was a little further away, I don't think America would have given a damn. I don't think there would have been any discussion about aid going to Ukraine. Right. You would have had a couple of fancy speeches, maybe some sanction attempt at the UN, and that would have been that. So yeah. uh, the fact that we're all aware of what Putin wants and how he's trying to achieve mm-hmm. that is just giving America reason to stay in the game for as long as they have. And, and I hope that continues because, like I said, if with Johnson or your speaker, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. But if you do start, reducing aid to Ukraine, I feel like it'll have a knock-on effect. Europe will start, uh, you know, either be forced to take up more of the funding, which is not going to be good for their economy, or they're going to have to drop the funding, which is not going to be good for Ukraine. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's it's hard to simplify it too much because obviously there's a ton of little details yeah. that go into things as well, but mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting time right now with all the conflicts going on around the world and how that's affecting yeah. countries that maybe aren't necessarily as directly, they're not directly involved necessarily. Like I wouldn't say that yeah. the U S is directly involved in you in Ukraine and Russia, you know, we're mm-hmm. a third party just yeah. kind of, you know, 
putting a little bit of backing behind him. We're not on the front lines or anything. In exactly. Sense. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how that'll affect things going forward, elections, things like that. And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, social media continues to uh, impact the way things are communicated as well as AI and how, you know, tools, mm-hmm. yeah, AI tools are used to spread either positive or negative information and misinformation. Yeah, well, that's the that's a scary one, right? Because I, I feel like if you don't get our hands on AI right now, like I'll just give you a mm-hmm. simple example. Google with the Pixel 8, they have launched this uh, magic area, magic eraser, mm-hmm. no, the other magic feature, whatever, basically where it allows you to change the entire background, the scenery, the color of the sky, even remove a, a bag from a person's shoulder, right? Um, mm-hmm. Magic editor, yeah, that's what it's called. Now, I saw this demo. I saw the entire Kia IO live and mm-hmm. I was actually scared. Like I've always seen like Apple keynotes and Google keynotes the last decade or so. And every time I watch a Google keynote, I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. This is something that's really going to be awesome to have and use. But when they yeah. debuted this feature, I was genuinely scared because I could see people five years into the future using this feature to manipulate so many yeah of what we hold true and dear. In fact, I wrote about it a month ago also, right? I, I, I titled it, Google has launched a war on the truth because to me, that's how I see this feature, right? All this time, like AI is fun. Okay, like I said, it's all inconsequential because the tools are so small and they're being used for such small insignificant events. But mm-hmm. if you can manipulate a photo now that way, the way Google showed off and yeah. not have any sort of marking that this has been a photo manipulated by AI, we are in for a world of trouble. Like already we find it hard. Like let's take Palestine, for example. People are circulating images that are five years old, 10 years old from a different war altogether, right? To drum yeah. up support. And we, we can't tell the truth. How are we going to tell the truth when we can now do this? Where I can take a photo of myself in Dubai, change the background mm-hmm. to appear as if I'm in Israel or Palestine, right? And yeah. just imagine the effect that that one particular feature will have. It's, it's scary. I mean, I, I know I mentioned that too. There's an ad on TV right now for, I, I can't remember if it's the Google pixel or like the new Samsung phone where they show Mm -hmm. that off and the, it shows off like how they're editing photos in real time where it's like a guy jumping in the air Mm -hmm. and then he edits it to make himself seem like he's 10 feet in the air. And obviously that's harmless, right? But the idea is that you can then just go in and it's so easy to just completely change an image. And like you were exactly. saying with, you know, conflicts around the world, it's like, one, they're just lying about the information about the image, right? Oh, this yeah. is what's happening now. No, it's from 10 years ago, but whatever. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, also they could then just go in and add in, they could add things into the picture, say like, oh, look, you know, people were killed or, oh, this is, you know, they lied. Nobody's getting hurt, you know, things like that. And it's just, it's becoming terrifyingly easy to, uh, you know, just lie. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's really a concern because already like going back to what we discussed a while back, right? Facebook, the fact that we could not regulate how people were able to use and manipulate. Like there's a very interesting quote I remember uh, reading a long time back where, you know, I don't remember the exact quote, but the idea was basically a spear or a knife. The idea was a knife. It's both a kitchen tool used for cutting your vegetables and also something you could use to kill somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, even a simple tool like a knife can be used as a weapon. And mm-hmm. if clearly we can't regulate that, we can't 
tell people teach people right that okay you should not use a knife to stab someone how are you going to teach people okay you can't use social media to spread lies and misinformation right that kind mm-hmm. of education is a systemic problem and now ai is just making that 100 times more difficult right because now you've got carte blanche to just do whatever you want your wildest imaginations like let's take example again the proud boys or qanon or whatever right like uh, mm-hmm. i think qanon had this big thing a while back where they said uh, gfk was going to reappear or something and they mm-hmm. i think in dallas or whatever but right now with ai i can literally make gfk reappear in 21st century dallas give him an iphone mm-hmm. a pair of airpods and all of that it it's not <laughs> that hard and just imagine what putting out that one photo will do for the world right what what mm-hmm. it can do for the q and on cause so that's really my concern now right we're not taking ai as seriously as we should we're not realizing that it's a weapon first and a useful tool second because the number of people who genuinely want to use it for good is so less mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's interesting i'll see i think people have the mindset at least around here where it's it doesn't affect me directly right now so I'll ignore it and people mm-hmm. will ignore it until it becomes a problem at which point it's too late yeah yeah then that's i mean that apathy is something that's very strange to me but again i feel like there's a lot of that going around everywhere because if you look mm-hmm. at it uh enry any election in any democratic society you never have a 100% participation okay 100 is yeah. is is impossible but let's say you want at least 80% of the voting populace to vote that really never happens in any mm-hmm. election right maximum you get is 60% or 70% turnout and i mean brexit is the best example of that i think it was only a 45% turnout or something not even 50% yeah. of uk's eligible population voted for the damn thing and now everyone is suffering because of it so that's what happens because of apathy and in that way i'm glad that at least this the young generation that we're seeing the new age voters coming in you know the voters that got into the house like reps Ma- maxwell frost and aoc at least they understood mm-hmm. that we need to break that apathy we need to get young people involved and they were able to do that effectively so i'm glad but again it has to be much more systemic and widespread if we want to take these things seriously because again mm-hmm. going back to what you said right like women's rights like why should someone care if someone gets an abortion it makes no difference whatsoever right mm-hmm. but you guys have made it a national conversation you guys have made it the defining topic of your time for some strange reason whereas yeah. these are the issues we need to deal with climate change ai and suddenly nobody seems to give a damn about any of it mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting i know like in the us like the last election the presidential election at least was almost 70% voter turnout i think it was like 67 maybe something like that mm-hmm. but it's been down for quite a long time like we were at you know below 50% in the mm-hmm. in like 1920s 24 whatever i mean yeah. even like late 90s we were at about 50% just over and if half i mean this is only for people who are allowed to vote like you know yeah. you're not it doesn't count the population of like children and things like that yeah. i yeah. mean if only 50% of the people that are allowed to vote are voting that's a lot of people who have opinions on this that <laughs> aren't voicing it right exactly so and i guarantee when- if if you put them in a room with you know 100 other people and asked mm-hmm. every other person their opinion on the matter and then skipped over them they would be upset be like why yeah. didn't you ask me but when yeah. it comes down to vote they they don't want to vote exactly and you know that's where now we've reached a stage where 
democracy is not truly a democracy because you're not having mm. everyone's participation right again it, it's like i said it's a social some places too though i mean yeah. especially there's a lot of states now where you know look at texas in particular they are yeah. closing down a lot of the voting locations making it as difficult as possible for people in and it, it is specifically like minority loc- like minority areas uh, exactly as hard as possible for them to vote because they know which way they're going to vote exactly see that that's what i'm trying to say right for so long mm-hmm. nobody really cared about the right to vote that now when mm-hmm. you're actively being stripped of it you realize the value yeah. of that vote and yeah. that to me is both scary and it's like a big well you should have paid more attention moment because clearly mm-hmm. right for decades you guys had the power to vote a lot of people didn't do that they didn't exercise their right to vote and their right to say what they want to say so now yeah. you're in a situation where okay if if only 50% of people are going to vote the other 50 are irrelevant might as well remove their ability to vote so mm-hmm. this is where democracy is no longer a true democracy and it's not just the us even in the uk for example now the british government is trying to introduce a voter id system where they say that you need to show some form of id to be eligible to vote now mm-hmm. the problem is the uk doesn't really have any form of government id that is free of cost you've got to pay for everything now i come from mm-hmm. india in india we have something called the aadhar card which is a national identity card every citizen gets it's free of cost you go you register you do your biometric scanning you get a unique id number yeah. and that's brilliant and even before india introduced aadhar we had voter ids which worked the same way i never had to pay to get a voter id card but the moment i turned 18 i just went to the government and said hey i'm 18 i want to vote now and fill in the forms i would get my voter id card which i would then show at the time of the election and i could cast my vote now the uk mm-hmm. doesn't have any of that and they're saying no you got to show any other form of government id so what are the only mm-hmm. two options now driver's license or a passport both are expensive right bulk of people cannot afford that so now suddenly mm-hmm. you're stripping away people's right to vote because they can't afford a form of identification and that's a scary situation again you no know, people are being disenfranchised so it's not just the us it's unique to this matter everyone is doing it in all parts of the world right and democracy as we call it, democratic backsliding it's happening everyone knows it and and the concern is there are still people who are apathetic enough to not care about it uh, but mm-hmm. i guess you know that's just one of the times we live in so we just got to accept it yeah yeah it's I don't know. It's interesting to see how things will play out. Obviously, we've got a lot of things happening in the US right now, especially involving the former president and his legal <laughs> battles and how that will affect the election next year and obviously we have all the the midterm, like all the mm-hmm. other side elections and things like that. It'll be interesting to see how social media plays a part in that. Uh how, you know, the if the events happening around the world play into that and mm-hmm. uh who knows but, yeah well uh we're going to have to wrap up here in a second i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about before we before we do that oh no no i think we have uh, i mean we've thought of doing ai we kind of went off track entirely but it was yeah, a wonderful that's, that's how it usually happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it was a lovely conversation i, I loved it, it yeah where can uh, where can everybody go to to check out your stuff right so uh, you can find me on instagram or twitter at uh, my handle is shrivi20 s r i v i 20 um so i'm quite active on both platforms and if you want to read my work it's shrivi20.com so s r i v i 20.com 
Awesome. And uh, you guys can go check out deadjesterproductions.live. It's got all of our stuff on there. We've been expanding it and we're adding some more tools for people to help them get started on their social media journeys and content creation and everything like that. So go check it out. It's free. And we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for being here. See you next time.